A good Easter morning to you here at East Bay Calvary Church. Great to see you on this resurrection day. And I know for you, it started here at 10.30 this morning. For our worship team, let's give them a hand. It started at 7 a.m. you believe that? And maybe you're wondering, how did our 9 a.m. service go this morning? It actually, um, it was full down here. And we even had some people that we let sneak up into the balcony uh, this morning for that 9 a.m. service. So that was really exciting. You know, so understanding the dynamic with both services, we could not have fit us all in today with how many we had. So um, it was probably a good thing we did two services. So thank you for flexing with us today. Yeah, we say thank you. Yeah, that's great. And for you balcony dwellers, I know some people flex with us this morning. You're normally in the balcony, and you're down here in the main level. We appreciate you flexing. We just want you to know that there is counseling available in the foyer after the service uh, to be able to help you through this. We really appreciate your flexibility. Hey, so we celebrate this resurrection day. You know, God flexed his muscle 2,000 years ago, just a little bit, just to show us he's more powerful than anything. Even death. There's nothing that can hold him back. And basically with everything, he, he kicked death in the teeth. He said, nothing is going to hold me back from doing what I have set to accomplish. Absolutely nothing. And so I wondered, how would news coverage today Cover a story of something, someone coming back from the dead. You think about that, like how would coverage go today in the news of someone coming back from the dead? Well, funny that you should ask, because actually, five years ago, February 26, 2014, maybe you remember this, ABC affiliate WAPT reported this. A Mississippi man woke up in a body bag as funeral home workers prepared to embalm him. Walter Williams, 78, of Lexington, Mississippi, appeared to have died at his home Wednesday night. The coroner came to the house, pronounced him dead at 9 p.m. I stood there and watched them put him in a body bag and zipped it up, Williams' nephew, Eddie Hester, told WAPT. Williams was taken to Porter and Son's funeral home. They were getting ready to embalm him, and that's when he started kicking inside the body bag. Now, folks, this is the very reason why I decided I would never work in a funeral home. You know what I'm talking about? Walter Williams woke up to find himself in a body bag. Funeral home manager Byron Porter told WAPT he's not, he wasn't dead, long story short. Porter said this was the first time he'd ever seen anything like it. Now nephew Eddie Hester said, my cousin called me and said, not yet. And I said, what do you mean not yet? And he said, daddy's still here. I don't know if it sounded like that, I just thought it sounded cool. Never in my life have I seen anything like it, Dexter Howard, the coroner, said. He's held the post of chief coroner since 2002. He went and visited Williams in the hospital Thursday night following all the excitement. 
His daughters were there. He was talking a little, but he was still weak, he said. William's family members say um, they are happy he's still alive. I don't know how long he's going to be here, but I know he's back right now, Hester told WAPT, and that's all that matters. I don't know how long he's going to be here. Well, let me tell you how long he was going to be here. March 13th. 2014 in the newspaper is the heading a 78 year old Mississippi man who woke up in a body bag after a coroner couldn't find his pulse in late February has died this time's home county county coroner Dexter Howard got it right and I'm sure they checked at least twice now Jesus made a claim <clears throat> in front of his disciples, in front of the crowds, in front of all of Jerusalem, and he said this. In three days, I will rise from the dead. Now, let me just tell you, you look it up. I, look it up, because there is no one else who has ever made that kind of a claim in all of history. In three days, I'm going to rise from the dead and actually deliver. Nobody. And that's why some people say this magnanimous claim, there, there's just no way. And so some people try to explain it away. Well, you know what? He, maybe he just wasn't completely dead. Maybe like Princess Bride, he was mostly dead. And that maybe he was in the grave and somehow he garnished the strength and he rolled the stone away and snuck out and none of the guards saw him, and that's how he got out. Some people say, you know what, it was all a hoax, and the disciples were able to get through the guards. They rolled the stone away. They got in there, and they left the grave closed, but they took the body, and they promoted this thing all along. Well, let's just walk through what we understand from 1 Corinthians 13, the claim of the early church as it relates to this very moment of Resurrection Sunday. So I invite you, if you have your copy of the Scriptures, or maybe your iPhone or iPad or something like that, 1 Corinthians 15, and we're going to look at the first eight verses, but particularly this statement that we believe is a creed that was regularly stated by the early church. And here's what the creed was. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and that he raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So look at verse 1 and I'm going to read down through this section of scripture. Verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 15, here's how it reads. Now brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand by this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise you believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance. Here's that creed. Here's the gospel. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried. That he raised on the third day according to the scripture. And that he appeared to Cephas, who is Peter. And then the 12, 
And after he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. So this first century church creed has three main parts to it that we're going to work through together this morning. And the very first part of it is that Jesus died on a cross. And the creed states that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Now in order to have a comeback, there needs to be some kind of a setback. Something that's viewed as a a downward turn. And certainly for Jesus and his family, his family viewed the death of Jesus as a setback. They mourned all of Friday night. They mourned all of Saturday. For the disciples, they viewed his death as a setback. They went into hiding. They actually went into the upper room. They locked it because they were concerned that they would be found and maybe they would be killed or crucified as well. And so they all viewed this as a major setback. And so in the midst of this setback, here is this major comeback. But as we look at the setback, The question is asked, did it really happen? Did Jesus really die on a cross? Now, I read something recently in an article about Jesus dying on the cross. Someone at the bottom wrote these comments. Listen to this. In a comment period, they wrote, Jesus' death on the cross. Just another story retold throughout religion that eventually becomes stated as So my question for you, is this just another religious tale? Is this maybe folklore? Is this campfire chat? Is this a myth that's maybe just been perpetuated from generation to generation to generation? Do we just have this blind faith and we just kind of believe what the people before us told us or is there really something to this? Is there really substantiating evidence? Is this really an intelligent faith or is this just something that we just keep perpetuating? Let me just mention um, for us here to put some meat to all of this. Obviously, all four Gospels express the same reality that Jesus Christ died on the cross. But we'll sit here today and say, well, you know what? Let's all be skeptics for a moment. But they were written by believers. So they're going to say the same thing. Yeah, okay, Jesus died on the cross. Believers are all going to say the same thing. Give me something maybe from some people that didn't believe. Well, let me just give you three names, okay? I'm going to give you three names. Number one, Josephus. He was a first century Jewish historian. He did not believe that Jesus was Messiah. And in his historical record, he looked at the historicity of the cross, and he wrote in his historical record, Jesus Christ was crucified on the cross for everything that we understand in the Gospels. Tacticus was a second century historian writer who claimed everything that we understand exactly of of the, the claims of Scripture that Jesus Christ was crucified on the cross Lucian of Samosta, a Greek 
historian writer wrote the same thing. And then the Talmud, which is the Jewish historical writings, also the very same thing. These folks, friends, they do not believe the claims of Christ, and they say the very same things of Scripture. Now, I want to tell you something that even John Crossan, who is a highly critical scholar, and he's very critical of Christianity, here's what he says. Listen to this. That he was crucified is as sure as anything historical can ever be. As sure as Abraham Lincoln being shot, as sure as World War II occurring, as sure as George Washington being our first president. Now just think of this. The selfless act of Jesus Christ dying on the cross, here's the reality. It is on all of the pages of early history it is on all the pages of history since its reality, folks. And think of this. Worldwide, globally, whenever someone sees a cross, whenever someone sees a cross, who does that belong to? It belongs to Jesus, doesn't it? We all know it. The cross belongs to Jesus Christ. And so even history tells us Jesus died on the cross. Here's number two. The tomb was empty. We take the creed and we take two portions that he was buried, that he raised on the third day, and here's the reality. The tomb was empty. Studied historical scholars on this subject agree the tomb of Jesus Christ was empty after three days. Now, I just want to walk through this narrative with you a little bit. Follow the reasoning. I don't know that people really understand this. When they try to refute Christianity, they say, well, you know, who, how do we really know it was empty? Well, here's the deal. Jesus made the claim in Jerusalem, I will die and in three days I will rise again. He was publicly executed in Jerusalem. He was buried in Jerusalem. The very first claims to the resurrection and his appearance happened in Jerusalem. And the very first church began, now let's see if you're awake here this morning. The very first church began in, okay, you did a little better than the 9 a.m. hour. Jerusalem. So here's the deal. So if this very first church originates and they say, you know what? Jesus is risen and that church begins in Jerusalem. The tomb is empty. It would be pretty difficult, wouldn't it? If the tomb were really not empty. And if Jesus were still dead and then they're in Jerusalem. People just need to say, oh, it's not empty. He's actually still dead and he's in. Didn't you just see that? It would be nothing for that culture to go over there, roll the stone back and say, whoop, here's the body. Just want you to know everything you're saying is a bunch of baloney and let's do away with this hoax right now. They could not produce a body. The tomb was empty. The reality is 
as we understand in the first century creed, he had come out. I want you to understand a statement by former Oxford University church historian William Wand. He writes this, All the strictly historical evidence we have is in favor of the empty tomb. And those scholars who reject it ought to recognize they do so on some other grounds than that of scientific history. It's the reality. They're the ones that are promoting a hoax or coming out with something that's unscientific. The reality is the tomb was empty. Here's number three. He has been physically seen. And the creed goes on, and he has been seen. And I want to give you two names in here. Now, it mentions he's been seen by a number of people. It goes through Peter and the 12 and a number of different things. I want to give you two names. The very first name in here that I want to show you is at the end of verse 7. It says, then he appeared to, first name I want to give you is James. James was a half-brother of Jesus, and, and I'm not sure if you were aware of this, but Joseph and Mary, after Jesus was born, they had other children. One of them was James, and there's two accounts in the scriptures that talk about what did the siblings believe about Jesus, and actually through Jesus' earthly time and his ministry, they really didn't believe. There's actually a passage of scripture that one, one passage says that they thought he was out of his mind. And then later on, it mentioned... Um, Specifically that, that he, uh, James, and even the brothers, it says that he, not even his brothers believed in, he, in him. That was in John 7, 5. And so James was on the inside, and he wasn't necessarily buying into Jesus' claims to being the Son of God. He wasn't buying it. And so how is all of this going to work out? And, and here Jesus comes to James after dying on the cross and being in the tomb. And I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but that church in Jerusalem that we were talking about, guess who the very first pastor was? James. So James went from disbelief, he's out of his mind, I'm not believing in him to seeing Jesus face to face in his risen form says, sign me up. I'll be the pastor. I believe in this. He is risen from the dead. Here's the second guy in that same verse and in verse 8. And then to all the apostles, unless he appeared to me, the one writing this is Paul. To me also, the apostle Paul is the one I've normally born. Paul was a persecutor of the church. He killed one of the first church leaders, Stephen. He was a part of the Pharisees, which was the group who was in charge of killing Jesus. And it ended up in Acts 9, Jesus appeared to Paul, and Paul became one of the most uh, biggest obstacles to Christianity, to being the biggest proponent, and as an apostle, even helped write 13 books of the Bible. Not only that, he was imprisoned multiple times. He was stoned for his faith. He was left for dead. He traveled thousands of miles sharing the gospel. Ultimately, he was put to death for his faith. So folks, here's the reality of this. 
people started having a comeback when they had an encounter with Jesus Christ. And two of them had most dramatic comebacks from being non-believers and opposers of Jesus to being some of the biggest proponents of Christianity. Here's what Chuck Colson says. Chuck Colson, I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, he was one who went down in the whole Watergate scandal many moons ago. He said, I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years and never once denied it. Now follow this. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured it if it weren't true. Watergate, conversely, embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep alive for three weeks. He finishes, you're telling me 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. And folks, that's why I stand before you right now as pastor of East Bay Calvary Church, and I say with total assurance with the first century church creed that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose on the third day according to the scriptures. And the reality of Easter is it doesn't end with his resurrection comeback. His comeback is what makes ours possible. His day of victory is what makes our opportunity of victory possible. His day of victory makes our opportunity of future and hope possible. And it all started with an empty tomb. And so let's talk about this in our finishing time together. What possibilities of comeback do we have because of his comeback? So if you're on your study notes on the back of your East Bay Weekly, there are three types of comeback we can experience because of his comeback. Our comeback is made possible by his. And here's number one. Your comeback from sin is made possible from his comeback. Your comeback from sin. And here's the beauty of this. In the creed it says it itself. He says that Christ died for our sins. That's the reason why he went to the cross. And then later on in verse 17, it says, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. So here's the beauty. Our sin can be paid for. It can be forgiven. We can be cleaned up no matter what. Our destroyed relationship with God can be fully restored. We can be guilt-free. Our weighed-down conscience can be lifted. We will be God's child. We can be assured of heaven. 
There's no way we can defeat guilt and punishment from sin without believing Jesus died on the cross for the wrong we've done. Just stop even trying to figure out how we can get over our sin on our own. That's why Jesus went to the cross in the first place. He went to the cross and bore on himself the punishment for our sin. And so, here's what it is. His last words on the cross as he died were these. It is finished. It's one word in the original and it means paid in full. And he meant by that all of our debt of sin, folks, is paid. It's gone. For those who believe in Jesus, there's no other way for your sin and mine to be paid except by Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. Our comeback from sin is made possible by his comeback from the grave. Here's number two. Your comeback from death. I know some of you might be sitting here saying, I may come back from death. Let's find out what it says. Here we go. Verse 18 and 19 mentions the hopelessness of those if Jesus never came back from the dead. It says, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost if he didn't come back from the dead. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Here's Romans 8:11. It says, And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Here's the deal. This life is not all there is. Those who believe in Jesus understand that we pass from this life to the next our last breath here is followed by our first breath on the other side and there's no better illustration i could give than this one there was a man as he knew he was passing went to his pastor to give instructions on how he wanted his funeral to go and he told his pastor exactly what he wanted done. And so as people walked by the casket that day, to pay their last respect, they looked down at the man's body and they noticed that as his hands were folded, in his hands was a fork. And of course, everyone thought, what in the world is going on? And it became the big chatter amongst everyone in the funeral home what's up with the fork what's up with and people began to talk and of course at the very uh end of the calling hours and everyone sat down the pastor got up and he began his service he says i'm sure you're all wondering what's up with the fork people were riveted and they're wondering what's going on and so he says i need to tell you i need to tell you he said he he told me we needed to do this today he said here's how it went he said when he was growing up, mom always made a great meal. And people sat around the table and they'd pull their fork out and they'd eat their meal. 
and they would enjoy it to the fullest. And he said, he said life was like a meal for him. And he said, and he had a very full life. He had a great family, he had great kids, he had a great job. He said he enjoyed his home. He enjoyed everything all the way up to the very end, just like a great meal. And he loved every moment of it. And he said, but the best words always came at the end of the meal when mom said, keep your fork. Because that meant the best was coming. All the sweet stuff was coming at the end. And he wanted to communicate, you know what? Yeah, this life was pretty good, but man, the best stuff is coming on the other side. And because of Jesus' comeback from the grave, folks, the best stuff is coming on the other side. And having just come out of winter in northern Michigan, it's safe to say that heaven is going to be better than Traverse City, folks. Amen? Yeah, I know. Your comeback from sin, your comeback from death is made possible by him. And let me finish, folks. Because we need to finish our time. I need to, I need to, have, I need to have some face-to-face and some heart-to-heart. Because your comeback from any problem you face is made possible by His. And I don't know what it is. <clears throat> I can't read your mind. But I need to talk to you this morning because sometimes we have the most crazy talk in Christianity. We will celebrate that Jesus had victory over death and he can do anything. He can be victorious over anything. And then we will worry like there's no tomorrow about our DTE bill. You realize that? Now I know the rates have gone up, but come on people. Honestly. Or we say God can do anything, but we freak out about our busy schedule, about our personal problems, about our work situations. And here he kicked death in the teeth and rolled the stone, and we don't think he can handle, though, what we're going through. One person wrote, ways you can tell it's going to be a rotten day. One way is you see a 60 Minutes news team waiting in your office. Another way is you turn on the news and they're showing emergency routes out of your city. Oh, this is a bad one. Uh, Your boss tells you not to bother to take off your coat. Yeah, that would be bad. Or the bird singing outside your window is a buzzard. Yeah, that, that would be a bad one. Oh, your twin sister forgot your birthday. Yeah, that would be a bad one. Oh, here's my personal favorite. Your car horn goes off accidentally and remains stuck as you follow a group of Hell's Angels on the freeway. <laughs> that, that would be a bad one. And some of the problems we face are even worse. And you could have walked into this room this morning wondering how in the world will I ever beat this addiction? 
How will our marriage ever survive this one? I can't take this abuse any longer. These mistakes I keep doing are just crushing me. This tragedy is just too much for me to bear. And here's heart to heart, folks. Your comeback is made possible by His. That's what this is all about. This isn't just folklore. This isn't campfire talk. This is something we believe, folks, from our core. We have a God who can do anything. And we're going to be studying through the next seven weeks what He's done for people throughout all of Scripture and what He still does today. And I'm going to be telling you about it. There's going to be stories like from Joseph of people who came back from abuse and rejection or Saul who came back from bad religion or Rahab and her story of coming back from a soiled past or Samson who came back from difficult consequences of wrong or David from blowing it or Ruth from family tragedy or Peter from betrayal all people and folks we just need to get a firm understanding that whatever you are dealing with whatever you are facing folks God is the God of the comeback and he proved it on resurrection Sunday and your comeback from whatever it is starts with him it's made possible by his I want you to get connected to that God of the comeback it starts at the cross Starts by believing that he died on the cross for our sin. And he rose again for our victory. Would you pray with me? Would you open up your life to this God of the comeback? Would you welcome his work in your heart? Would you be willing to connect with us? Would, would you be willing to call us, email us, talk to us? Even stick with us through this series and study. Don't short sheet his work in your life. And don't try to do it all on your own been there, done that, doesn't work. And Father, we look at that stone that was gone. We look at the grave clothes that lay there empty. And we realize that there is nothing that is outside of your ability 
there's nothing impossible. There's nothing that you can't just flex your muscle and take on and beat. That's our God. And it's at your feet that we lay our challenges, our problems, our inadequacies, our sin, our guilt. And God, we start with you. God, work in our hearts. Help us to yield. May you not only be our forgiver, may you be our leader. The God of our comeback story. The God of our hope. Let me give you the credit and the glory. And all of our East Bay Calvary said, amen. Hey, stand with me, would you?